You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, kitties, and welcome to my world. I would come over and say hello to you, but it's just as easy for you to come to me. Yes, yes, come in. You've come to the right place. This is where you'll learn everything there is to know about your furry feline friends. I'm talking about cats. Yes, I know. We are positively perfect pets. What do you mean I have attitude? Why, of course I do. I'm a cat. It's called Catitude. As I was saying, this show is all about cats. Cats and... Oh, yes, uh, cats. So let me introduce you to my accomplice, I mean assistant and host of Catitude, Tom Doc. Okay, Tom, tell them how wonderful we cats are. It's okay, you have my permission. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Catitude channel on PetLifeRadio.com. I am your host, Tom Doc, and as always, I'm glad to be here. I'm excited that we can share a little bit of time talking about our favorite little feline critters. And if you've followed the show for the last uh, couple of years now, actually, that we've been on, we have managed to pretty much go through all the 31 recognized CFA breeds, or the CFA recognized breeds of cats purebred cats and uh, talk a little bit about where they came from, their history, health problems, all sorts of different things like that. And of course, I gave you a little bit of news and even some health tips on every show too. Well, now that we've gone through most of those breeds, as I continue to reach out and research on some of the more exotic breeds like Pixie Bobs and Savannas and, and the newer breeds that are seemingly coming online right now. Um, we're going to spend a couple shows actually talking about more health-related issues for our pets. And let me tell you why we're going to do this. As many of you know, I am managing editor for the Veterinary News Network, and I also administer the website PetDocsOnCall.com. And PetDocsOnCall.com is a site where people can come and ask actual veterinarians questions about their pets. And... When I go through and I'm reviewing all the questions, make sure there's no spam, make sure you know nothing inappropriate is being said on the forum, I find a lot of folks who have a new puppy or a new kitten, and yes, I know this is the Catitude channel, we don't really want to talk about dogs, but the point here is going to be the same. They have a new pet at home, a younger animal, and they're trying to figure out what exactly to do as far as what kind of health care they need. And the sad situations come about when I hear about a three or four month old new pet that is sick for whatever reason. And even today, we had a, a situation where a client, a poster at Pet Docs on Call, came along and said, Hey, I found this kitten. I think she's about two, three months old. You know, I want to give care to her and everything like that, but I'm just afraid that I'm not going to be able to because I'm 19 years old. I make minimum wage and I don't think I can afford anything and nobody will take payments from me. So I thought what we should do is go through all of the different wellness care type protocols for our cats. And we'll do that over a series of several shows. And today we're going to focus in on one of the most deadly diseases that's out there, and that, of course, is rabies. And why it's important, even if you have an indoor-only cat, that you vaccinate this cat for rabies. And so we'll talk about that for the majority of the show today. The other reason I wanted to talk about these things is because in my role as managing editor of the Veterinary News Network, as I'm constantly looking for animal health-type issues in the news, 
We see a lot of things. Uh, I see a lot of stories about rabies, and it seems to me, of course, this is gut feeling, and it, it may turn out to be wrong, but it seems to me that this year, I've seen a lot more cases of actually owned cats coming down with rabies and having to be euthanized or dying from rabies as opposed to feral cats. And we'll get into some figures and stuff shortly after we come back from break. But I see things like this family out of, oh gosh, where are they out of? I think they're out of either Texas or maybe Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska, where the cat was defending its kittens from a skunk. And the skunk, of course, was rabid. And the cat then contracted rabies because the people had not kept it vaccinated. So we want to talk about the importance the risks of vaccinating versus the risks of not vaccinating. So we'll get into all that as well. And as always, we want to thank our sponsors here at Pet Life Radio. So we're going to take a short break, hear from them, and when we come back, we'll jump right into learning about rabies virus and how it affects our cats. But before we go, let's do a little trivia here. How many of you have heard that the rabies, the canine rabies strain, has been declared extinct here in the United States, actually in North America. What I want to know from you is, first, is that a true or false statement? And second, what does that mean for your cats? We'll be right back after these messages. Ooh, do I hear a can being opened? I believe I smell tuna! Catitude will return after these messages. That should give me enough time to investigate what's going on in the kitchen. Don't have a hissy fit. We'll be right back. Listen, cat people, it's just litter. Until you realize those big boxes mean big smells, big messes, and big money. Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter with concentrated power. It guarantees less smells, less work, all with less litter. Try the small bag that lasts one cat 30 days and you'll realize it's just litter. Unless it's World's Best Cat Litter. Find it at Target, Walmart, and at your local grocery and pet stores. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com How dare they open a can of tuna and make a sandwich out of it? I can see why some of my celebrity pals prefer lasagna. Well, anyway, I did manage to grab myself the canary while I was in there. Quiet, bird. We're going to hear the rest of my show, Catitude. If you behave, I may not eat you until later. Okay, Tom, you may continue. Okay, welcome back. Here we are again on the Catitude channel. And uh, glad that you got a chance to listen to those sponsors. Before we left, we talked about a little trivia question. The CDC declared canine rabies strain extinct here in North America. Is that true or false? Well, that is true. That actually happened, I think, back in 2008, where they said, guess what? The canine strain of rabies is now completely gone here in uh, North America. So what does that mean for your cat? Well, it doesn't mean anything, actually. Rabies is not a disease that affects only one certain species. There are different strains, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So let's just jump right in. Let's learn about rabies, um, the background, and uh, find out how you can protect your cat and actually protect your whole family. 
So, a little bit of history. Rabies is probably the oldest zoonotic disease that we are aware of. In other words, there are actually mentions of rabies in documents that date back more than 2,300 years. Um, Both the ancient Greeks and the ancient Egyptians knew about rabies. And in fact, if you were a dog owner back in those times and your dog became rabid and bit somebody, they levied some pretty severe fines. Of course, I don't know exactly what those fines were, but all the documents I've read said there were severe fines. So they knew, even though they didn't understand the mechanism of how it was transmitted, they knew that this was a deadly killer, that it could kill people as well as kill animals. So ancient, ancient disease. The rabies virus caused lots of scourges and epidemics all throughout medieval Europe and, of course, all around the world. It's uh, known pretty much all around the world, with the exception of a few island nations, and there are a few inland nations that have become rabies-free. You think about, you know, one of our states, Hawaii. Hawaii does not have native rabies. Of course, that's why they have strict quarantine protocols when you're bringing a new animal in. For a long time, Great Britain was rabies-free because, again, they're in an island, and then there was no way for the rabies vectors, uh, you know, a mammal that had rabies, to get over there. However, what's happened is the channel that connects Great Britain to France has now allowed some bats to fly through, and I guess they may even be overnighting in the tunnel. And um, some of these bats, of course, are can carry rabies as well. And, of course, you've got to think about even little terrestrial animals. You know, can a rabid fox run through the channel? It's hard to say. So a little more history here. Nobody knew, you know, how to treat or or how to prevent rabies for a long time until Louis Pasteur came along and actually developed the first rabies vaccine in 1885. And he was able to administer this vaccine to a young boy by the name of Joseph Meister, who had been mauled by this rabid dog, and actually prove that the vaccine could stop the rabies virus from infecting the person who was bit and actually save the person's life. And Joseph Meister became so enamored of Louis Pasteur that he became a caretaker at the Louis Pasteur Institute and actually guarded Louis Pasteur's remains and some of Louis Pasteur's um, publications and work tried to keep them out of uh, Nazi hands when uh, Nazi Germany invaded France back in World War II. So we've only had the vaccine for people for a little over 100 years. And then, of course, you know, we didn't do much as far as our pets were concerned, and especially here in North America, until really around the, you know, 1940s, 1950s is when we really embarked on a program to create a barrier between us and rabid wildlife, and that, of course, is our pets. And most people in the world, when they contract rabies, believe it or not, because it's so rare here in the United States, they actually contract rabies from rabid dogs. Now, here in North America, if you come down with rabies for some reason, you're more than likely to have been bitten by a bat than any terrestrial animal. But when we started vaccinating our pet dogs, we saw the human cases of rabies drop to almost nothing almost, you know, one or two cases a year. And again, those are mostly associated with bats or someone who has traveled to a third world country. Again, rabies is very rare in all Western societies in Europe, 
in North America, of course. But as you get through into the third world countries, especially Africa and especially Southeast Asia, you still see a big epidemic of rabies. In fact, I see news articles all the time about, you know, rabid dogs in Bali and, and how can they stop the rabies. You know that 55,000 people die from rabies every year, and that's about one person every 10 minutes. And sadly, most of those are kids. And again, it's, you know, the kids and dogs type of, of interaction. So I know we're getting off uh, track here as far as cats, but you need to understand a little bit about rabies and where it comes from and where it resides. Rabies is a lysovirus, and there are many different subtypes of lysovirus. And here in North America, we have seven different terrestrial variants. We've got two or three skunk variants, a raccoon variant, a fox variant, a coyote variant. And then, of course, there's literally dozens of bat variants because there's more than 30 species of bats here in the United States that can carry rabies. The type of rabies, the variant, is important because when they do the rabies testing, they can find out which animal actually bit the person or the uh, animal that then was bit and find out where the rabies variant was coming from. And like I said, the CDC actually declared the canine variant, um, our dog rabies variant, extinct here in North America. But as you well know, if you read the papers at all, this does not mean that rabies is gone, and it does not mean that your dog will not get rabies if it's bitten by a rabid animal just because it's a skunk variant. They will still get rabies. Rabies is zoonotic. It can be spread from animals to people. Now, it is generally incubated and transmitted by warm-blooded animals. Believe it or not, experimentally, you can infect birds with rabies, but it's just not a good vector for the virus, and so you probably won't see any rabid birds in the wild. It is transmitted most commonly by a bite because the rabies virus ends up in the saliva. Now, occasionally you can get it uh, because you've been scratched, because, again, you know, you think about animals licking their paws and uh, saliva gets on the claws. So certainly a scratch from a wild animal is a potential for rabies. And uh, you can also get it inoculated through mucous membranes. There have been cases of people getting rabies in a laboratory because of not being careful and spinning the virus in a centrifuge and glass breaking and they're not wearing eyewear and it gets up into the mucous membrane. So that's how it's transmitted. And then once it actually gets into your body, the, in, the saliva enters the wound, the viral particles get into the wound, and they attach to muscle cells. And they kind of hang out there for a little while. Then they'll kind of work their way towards the local nerves and start working their way up towards the spinal cord and, of course, the brain. Now, what this does, and this is pretty neat from a um, scientific standpoint, is it keeps the virus invisible to the immune system because it's not traveling in the blood. So you don't have the, the white blood cells and the uh, sentinel-type cells out there looking for the virus. They, they can't see it. It's traveling up the nerve channels. So very invisible to the immune system. It travels up the brain. Once it gets to the brain and starts reproducing, it'll then transfer and transmit down to salivary glands. And that, of course, is how it is propagated. Now, during this time that it is working its way or migrating up to the brain, of course, the person is not infective at that point in time. It's only, or the animal, I guess I should say, is not infective at the time. It's only when the rabies particles get into the saliva. Now, this is an invariably fatal disease. There is truly no good cure for this disease. Now, I say that kind of uh, with my fingers crossed and, and uh, 
and being careful about what I'm saying because there are cases of abortive infection. In fact, just this last year, there's a man in Texas who was diagnosed with rabies, but then all of a sudden it just stopped. The infection aborted, and they really don't know why that happens. Now, there's also been two cases where a young girl in Wisconsin and a young boy in Brazil have been treated. Um, They were both bitten, I believe, by bats, and they were put into a coma, given lots of different antivirals and all this stuff, and they were treated where they recovered from rabies, but they still have quite a bit of neurological-type damage, and I don't know that either one of them are ever going to have what we would consider to be a normal life, but they are alive. So those two cases are the ones that have been, quote, cured. Now, how does this relate to our cats? Well, according to the AVMA, the American Veterinary Medical Association, in 2009, the rabies surveillance report noted that 300 cats were reported as rabid during that time frame. And that is compared to 81 dogs. So three times, almost four times as many cats as dogs. Interesting thing here, more than, gosh, uh, more than 70%, almost 75% of the cats that were found rabid in 2009 were located along the East Coast. In fact, Virginia and Pennsylvania account for almost 80% of that of the 224 cats that were found along the East Coast. And um, this is because this is where the raccoon rabies uh, variant is very um, prevalent, with a lot of uh, rabid raccoons along the eastern seaboard. And, of course, you know, you've got feral cats and cats that run outdoors, and they may come into contact with a raccoon. You think about it, they're going to be in very, very similar environments. So even if it's a feral cat, even if it's an own cat that just gets to roam outdoors, there's a likelihood that, you know, they might crawl under the porch and encounter a raccoon. Or in the case out in Nebraska, you know, you've got a cat defending her kittens from a skunk that comes wandering up. So there is the possibility of that happening. The other thing that I think a lot of people don't think about is that think about a bat and think of how it flies and how it flops around. If you've got a bat who has a rabies, they often are not flying. They're crawling along the floor or some kind of horizontal surface. They're flopping around. And that is just, as you know, going to be a major attraction to a cat. So if a bat gets into your house and it's rabid, it could be playing with your cat. So don't think that your indoor-only cat is going to be completely free from being exposed to rabies. It can happen. It has happened. And so you definitely need to keep your cat vaccinated. We're going to talk a little bit about the symptoms and signs because there's a a lot of confusion about what goes on when an animal actually has rabies. So I think whenever we think about rabies, everybody kind of gets a picture of that, you know, slobbering dog, you know, foaming at the mouth type of thing, the Cujo type of of mentality. And yes, that happens, but it's only one part. There's, you know, really about three phases of of rabies. And so we need to know what they look like, what we can uh, look for. And the biggest thing you need to understand is, as I've said, the rabies virus affects the nervous system. So you're going to get some odd neurological type of things, and you're going to get some odd behavior. For example, in wild animals, in raccoons and skunks, you're going to see these animals staggering around, wandering around in the open during daylight hours. And that is not normal behavior for a raccoon or a skunk. They are nocturnal animals. I think actually raccoons are diurnal. They're more active during the uh, dusk and dawn type periods. But um, in either case, if it's the middle of the afternoon and you see a, a raccoon or a skunk wandering through your property, 
there's a good chance that there's something wrong with that animal, and there's a good chance that it might be rabies. Now, the hard thing to know is that depending on where and when the original bite occurred, rabies can incubate a very long period of time. In fact, some um, experts say as long as a year before you start seeing symptoms. But when you see symptoms, it will invariably end up being fatal for the animal. This, of course, is going to have an impact on whether or not you euthanize uh, an animal that has been bitten by a wild animal because of the bite location. And again, you got to think about it. If you're bit, and let's just use a, a human as an example, if you're bit in the arm or on your wrist, the rabies virus has to work its way all the way up the nerve channels of the arm, you know, through the shoulder, up into the neck until it gets to the brain. That's a long period of time and, and a chance for somebody to take the prophylactic vaccines and actually avoid getting um, infected with rabies. Now, if an animal bites you around your head or your neck, there's a much shorter time for that virus to get to where it needs to be. So you need to find out immediately whether or not that animal was rabid. And so a lot of times this will come into play with animal control. If you've got a dog or a cat who is uh, showing signs that they may be rabid and it's bitten a person around the head or the face, then they automatically euthanize that animal so that they can find out whether or not the animal truly was rabid and whether this person needs to begin the life-saving prophylactic vaccines immediately. You know, when you get bit in the arm or the hand or the leg or something like that, you know, the 10-day quarantine is often enough time to find out whether or not you're going to uh, need those rabies vaccines. But we're going to talk about that more a little bit about quarantine and everything like that. We do need to take a, a short break here and hear from our sponsors again. When we come back, we'll talk about how do we prevent this, what are the risks of prevention, and then, of course, uh, some of the quarantine protocols and a few other aspects that you may not think about when it comes to protecting our cats and our families from rabies. So hang on. We're going to listen to our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Do I hear a can being opened? I believe I smell tuna. Catitude will return after these messages. That should give me enough time to investigate what's going on in the kitchen. Don't have a hissy fit. We'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. <coughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. How dare they open a can of tuna and make a sandwich out of it? I can see why some of my celebrity pals prefer lasagna. Well, anyway, I did manage to grab myself the canary while I was in there. Quiet, bird. We're going to hear the rest of my show, Catitude. If you behave, I may not eat you. 
Until later. Hmm. Okay, Tom, you may continue. All right, welcome back to the Catitude Channel. We're kind of into our second half of our show today, learning about rabies virus. We're going to take a few shows and just talk about the preventative type steps you need to take to keep your cat healthy. And we've talked about the history of rabies, where it comes from, how it's transmitted, how deadly it is. What can you do to prevent it? Well, the biggest thing that you can do, of course, is vaccinate your animals. And um, interestingly enough, even though all 50 states mandate that dogs are vaccinated for rabies, only about 30 states mandate that cats are vaccinated for rabies. So that's something that needs to change. And if you're in a state that does not mandate rabies vaccines for your cats, it's still a very, very good idea. And we'll reference back to those 300 cats that were infected with rabies just during 2009. So what can you do to make sure that your animal is vaccinated properly, but not have those kind of side effects that you hear about all those horror stories that you read about on the internet? Well, the first thing you need to do, of course, and I know that you all do this, is develop that great relationship with your veterinarian. And when you get a new kitten, get them vaccinated um, at about 12 weeks of age. And there's several different vaccines out there. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And then after the 12 weeks vaccine, you're going to go ahead and re-booster that vaccine at about the one year mark. So the kitten's about a year old. They're going to go in again and get vaccinated. In most localities now that do mandate vaccines for cats, you don't have to get a yearly rabies vaccine anymore. You can actually go ahead and use the three-year killed virus product that is out there, and so your cat won't need to be vaccinated again for rabies until they're about four years old. Now, you've got to be careful, and you have to understand your local laws and your local ordinances, and this is where your veterinarian can help. For example, here in Indiana, believe it or not, we're on a three-year rabies uh, vaccine. It's actually the discretion of the veterinarian. But if you are current on your rabies vaccine, or your cat is current, and you take your cat outside of the state, even if it's for a week period of time, if you're showing the cat somewhere, you're going to visit relatives, whatever the situation is, if you go outside the state and you come back into the state, you're supposed to revaccinate that cat within 12 months, regardless of whether or not it was on the three-year rabies vaccine or not. I don't know why they do that, but that is uh, one of the interesting things that you need to know about local laws and ordinances, and it's where your veterinarian um, can help out. Now, people worry all the time because of the internet rumors and uh, and the concerns of uh, vaccine-associated sarcomas with um, in our cats. And we've talked about this on the show before. We do know that some cats, for whatever reason, whether it's genetic or whatever reason it is, um, are more susceptible to developing certain types of very aggressive tumors whenever they get an injection. Now, I think the best data that we have shows that it happens in about one in 30,000 cats. And, and again, I think there's a, a genetic component to this, but how can you prevent that from happening? Is there a way that you can stop that? Well, you know, again, talking with your veterinarian is an important thing. Going to the three-year protocol is important, but here's where it gets a little tricky. 
A lot of veterinarians, a lot of research scientists are concerned about the adjuvants that are inside the vaccines. And of course, an adjuvant is something that helps the keep the vaccine around the body longer so the body recognizes it, develops the antibodies, and can mount an immune response to the vaccine. There's concerns that these adjuvants are irritating something in the cat and causing the, the cancer type growth, the fibrosarcomas that we've talked about. So there is a non-adjuvanted vaccine. It is a rabies virus that's vectored through a canary pox virus. Very interesting technology. It's a recombinant type of uh, rabies vaccine and uh, developed by Marielle. And it does not have an adjuvant in it, but you have to have it revaccinated every year. So there's an annual booster. So you go back to the fact that you're injecting this cat every year. You know, there's, there's still research going on about how long the rabies vaccine is valid. What's the duration of immunity? How long is it good for, people will say. And there is research going on right now. There's a uh, seven-year study going on in dogs that is looking at that information. If we vaccinate a dog, you know, do it this time, and then we booster it, and then we challenge it with rabies seven years later, will it be protected? And, you know, we won't have that answer for a couple of years yet. But here's the, the sad thing, and this is where people get confused, is we talked about rabies is an invariably fatal disease. There have to be controls with these experiments. And so you've got, so you've got 10 dogs that are being vaccinated and they're going to be challenged with rabies later. There's got to be 10 dogs that are pretty much identical, you know, litter mates almost to those original 10 that aren't going to get the vaccines are going to be challenged at that later time and are going to develop rabies and have to be euthanized. It's part of science. It's probably something that needs to happen, but it's also a very expensive undertaking. And it's one of the reasons why we just don't fully understand how long of a duration of immunity we have with, with rabies vaccines. And the other thing you've got to keep in mind is every animal is an individual. Not every cat is going to develop a fibrosarcoma when they get an injection. There's genetic factors. There's probably some environmental factors. The same thing's going to happen. Not every animal is going to respond to the rabies vaccine as they should. There's a case in Weimariner dogs where they just don't respond to vaccines and will develop normal puppyhood type diseases later in life, like canine parvovirus. So I know I'm giving you a lot of a little bit conflicting information here, but the odds are on your side to protect your cat and protect your family by vaccinating. And you also need to check because it might be the law in your area. So if you let your cat outside, you know, obviously keeping the cat indoors is going to minimize the risk to rabies. But as I've said earlier, bats can come indoors too. And they're one of the biggest vectors of rabies that's out there. And, you know, bats can fit in very, very small places. Their movements are going to attract the attention of our cat. And the other thing that people don't realize is Bats' teeth are very, very tiny. You may not even notice a bat bite either on yourself or on your cat. Or, you know, it could be that the uh, cat starts crunching on the, the bat trying to eat it. And that's a, certainly a method that they could take in the rabies virus as well across the mucous membranes and uh, and have a problem that way. So even though your cat is strictly indoors and they could be at reduced risk, it's still important to vaccinate your indoor cat as well. But if your cat does go outdoors and they run into a wild animal like this uh, cat in Nebraska that was defending its kittens against a skunk, how do you know what to do if they do get into a tussle? Okay. So if you have a vaccinated pet 
a vaccinated cat, and I'm sure all of yours are vaccinated, and they get into some sort of scrape or some sort of encounter with a wild animal, the law basically requires, and it's a little bit different from state to state, but the law basically requires that you need to quarantine that cat for 10 days and then you revaccinate it at the end of that period of time. Um, it's, you know, the odds are that the animal's going to be safe. They're not going to get the rabies from the, the wild animal like the skunk or the raccoon, but it's just to keep the family safe and make sure that the, um, that your cat is not going to develop rabies. You need to quarantine for about 10 days. Now, what if your cat's not vaccinated, like the case again in Nebraska? And they run into this wild animal. Well, in this case, you're going to have a couple options. You can quarantine for six months, but it needs to be done at a facility um, where they can basically document it. And this is because the rabies virus, again, has to work its way through the system. And so you need to know that that animal was not rabid at that time and then vaccinate a month before the release. The other option, of course, is to uh, euthanize the pet. If that happens, then, you know, they've got to test for rabies and, and go that way. But again, this is all about keeping people safe. Now, if you've got contact with a, a feral cat or even um, an owned cat, you know, a cat that's roaming your neighborhood and you know who owns it and they're all of a sudden acting a little weird, the best thing in most cases is to actually euthanize that animal and, and test Again, the rabies virus only spreads through saliva, and that's only going to happen in about the last 10 days of the animal's life. And so, yes, you can quarantine, but a lot of cases you get bit by or scratched by one of these feral cats, you can't capture them easily, and you may not be able to quarantine them for 10 days. So uh, euthanasia may be the best option. So you're going to go get vaccinated for for rabies. You're going to get your cat vaccinated. That's great. Make sure that your veterinarian understands that there are some new protocols to help minimize those adverse reactions. And again, we've talked about minimizing the vaccines by going to a once every three year protocol, if applicable for your state. And uh, if it's something your veterinarian does, and it's something that the vaccine is labeled for. In other words, you can't use that canary pox vaccine every three years. You've got to use the uh, three-year killed virus product. When they vaccinate, they need to be vaccinated low on the right rear extremity. So in other words, in the leg on the right-hand side, the right-hand rear leg, right-hand side is low as possible. That way, if the fibrosarcoma would develop, it's a lot easier to amputate the leg and actually save the animal's life than, you know, vaccinating them in the scruff of the neck like we used to do for many, many years. So this is all, it's serious stuff. It's something that you need to take into consideration with your cats, but I don't want you to be overly fearful. We're very lucky here in the United States and Canada and North America that we don't have rabies as prevalent, but it is still out there in the wild. And as we encroach upon wild areas, as you know, we change the rural landscape into more of an urban suburban type landscape, our animals are going to come in contact with wild animals. And of course, there's several wild animals like raccoons that adapt very well to a suburban type of setting. And, and if you think about it, think about the raccoons in, um, in New York City and Central Park. Those have adapted very well to essentially an urban environment. And there's been several cases of rabid raccoons in Central Park right there in New York City uh, over this last year. So it's out there. It's not something to maybe lose sleep over, but if you just simply take a few preventative steps and vaccinate your animal, 
you're going to be just fine. Let's talk about and end up the show, talk about some fun stuff here real quick. You know, we've talked about all these different breeds uh, for such a long period of time over these last several shows. And I want to focus in on the top cats. Um, and this, of course, is from the CFA for the 2009-2010 show season. And you can find pictures of these guys at CFA.org. And just click on the What's New button on the left-hand side, and it'll take you to a link that shows you pictures of the various different cats that have won awards this year. And I was looking at the top 25 kittens, and interestingly enough, the top four, Persians. You know, everybody loves Persians so much, and there's some very, very pretty Persians there. The number five was a Maine Coon. For those of you who are Oriental-type lovers like Siamese or Tonkinese, you've got to get down to number seven before you um, see one in the top 25. And uh, there's an Abyssinian that's uh, number 10. Uh, A few more Persians here and there. An Egyptian Mao is number 14. Siamese comes in at 15. If you like the hairless cats, the Sphinx, the 17th best kitten, Rex plus Nudie Garland of Kikapoo. Um, Little female, very cute, very inquisitive face. Very nice looking cat right there. And of course, a few more Persians and Tonkinese sprinkled throughout the kittens. What about the top cats? And uh, what I really enjoyed looking at here in the top 25 cats for the 2009-2010 show season was the number one cat was Velva's Feeling Hot Hot Hot, a Russian blue female. And there's just a gorgeous picture of her at the CFA.org website. And so I would encourage you to take a look at that. You know, I just, I look at these show cats and they're just so photogenic. Um, I'm looking at a, a brown tabby male, the number five cat in championship, uh, Yat Fung's Hulk in brown. He's a brown tabby American shorthead. You just, you look at them, they're just so photogenic and it's so fun to breeze through these pictures. So anyway, that's going to end it for this show. Next time when we come back, we'll talk about more preventative care. And I want to talk about a pretty serious feline disease. Um, It's known scientifically as panleukopenia or feline panleukopenia. You might know it better as feline distemper. And luckily, again, we don't see much of it. But when outbreaks occur, it can be pretty sad. So thanks for coming by. We'll see you next time right here on the Catitude Channel on PetLifeRadio.com. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Dock. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова 